Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have a message entitled Joining the Divine Dance, where we're looking at Jesus' prayer for his disciples from John chapter 17. And we've got a few things coming up this week. Tuesday night, we have a vision meeting, part two of the vision meetings that we had last time. And um, we'll be looking at where we're going as a church. And then this Friday we have our uh, Guys Texas Hold'em Tournament. So if you're a guy and you want to get to know some other guys, this is a great way to hang out have some fun. So anyway, for more info on that, you can check us out on our Facebook page or at NorthShoreVineyard.org. Thanks for listening. Message for today is on the front page of your outline. This is John 17, verse 20 through 26. This is Jesus speaking here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me. And I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one, one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and that you've loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I'd like you to imagine something. Let's do a little uh, thought experiment here. Imagine, it's going to sound a little morbid at first, but imagine that you go to the doctor for a checkup. Not because you feel sick or anything feels broken or wrong, but just one of those. I, I hear some people just go for checkups. I, I, I don't know a lot of guys who do that. But say you just go for a routine checkup to the doctor. And while you're getting this checkup, the doctor says, look, I've, I've got to inform you. Um, just discovered you have a, a very rare condition and you're going to drop dead next week. You won't be in a lot of pain or anything. You're just going to be going about life and, and you'll die. Um, now, now, once you get over the initial shock and despair of finding out that you're going to die in a few days, you, you begin to realize that, in a way, it's a bit of a gift. 
Because how many people just die and they never get to, to say anything to their loved ones? Everything is, is left uh, un- unraveled. Now you've got the opportunity to take some time and, and write out your thoughts for the ones that you love. Think about what you would write to your children or maybe your spouse, or maybe your brothers or sisters, or maybe even your own parents, if you knew that, that sometime next week you, you, you would no longer be here. When we think through this, you know, I, I think in my own life, if, if I found out I was dying next week, there are certain things I would want to pass on to my kids that I, I would hope that they would hold this letter, and, and years from now they'd go back and look at it. I, I would hope that I could give them some kind of sense of wisdom from, from anything good I've done and, and, and a lot of wisdom from the stuff that I've not done very good to, to hopefully give them a way forward. I say that because when we come to this passage this week, uh, the context really matters. Jesus is, is in this passage here. He's not teaching the public. He's not even teaching his disciples. He's not sharing a parable. What we have here is a window into Jesus' own intimate life with God the Father. But it's not just even that. It's right before, this is just hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed, tried, and convicted as a criminal and crucified. So this, in a, in a sense, is Jesus' last words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. These are the most important things that Jesus could pray for his followers before he goes to the cross. And what did Jesus pray in this moment? It's interesting to consider what he didn't pray for. Jesus didn't pray, God, I pray that, that you would give Peter and James a big enough building to, to have their, their Sunday service in. <laughs> Father, I pray that you'd send them a worship leader that can bring down the presence of God. I pray that they'd have an awesome children's ministry. Jesus doesn't even pray that, that, that they would boldly go throughout all the world and have successful ministries proclaiming the truth with boldness. Jesus doesn't even pray for that. What does Jesus pray? He prays, God, this thing that you and I have, that we've had before there was ever this, I pray that they would be brought into that and that they would live out that reality with each other. The most important thing that Jesus could pray at the end of his earthly ministry was this. What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about God's purposes? The Apostle John would write in his epistles about God is love. And I think we would all agree with God is love. We agree with that sentiment, that idea, that thought. But oftentimes, I don't think we really consider that just what it takes to have love, right? How many of y'all saw that movie, Castaway, Tom Hanks? That movie probably came out a really long time ago now that I think of it. <laughs> there was this movie, kids, called Castaway. And Tom Hanks uh, played this guy who worked for FedEx, and he... 
his plane crashes out in the Pacific, and he ends up washed on the shore of this uninhabited island, and he's by himself for years. Now, if you imagine yourself in the same scenario, you would have the memory of love. You might have a fond recollection of things. You might have love in your heart for people, but you would not have the actual reality of love because love requires having another person, right? So you might be tempted to take a basketball and call it Wilson and make it your best friend. You know, you might be tempted. The truth is love cannot exist apart from having at least two beings. Otherwise, it's just in your head. You know what the Christian church has affirmed since the earliest years of the church? That God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally before there ever was in us. I've heard people say sometimes that God created us because he was lonely. I've heard people say that God created us because he needed us. But God didn't need us, and he wasn't lonely. Because God existed in loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before there ever was a Big Bang, before there ever was an earth, before there ever was an us, God existed in loving community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God didn't create us because he needed us. We were created because of the outflow of his love. We're the result of loving community, not the result of a lonely God who was bored (laughs) and needed something to do. Now, if we look at the universe from uh, quantum physics all the way to cosmology, from biology to sociology, one thing that we're going to find is that the universe at its core is relational. These little particles of energy come together to form atoms, and these atoms come together to form molecules, and molecules come together to form cells and systems. Even our planet Earth is, is rightly related I mean, if, 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 if Earth was just a little bit further out of orbit or a little bit further in, th- we wouldn't be having this conversation this morning because life would not exist on this planet. Earth, as cosmologists say, is, inhabits the Goldilocks zone where it's neither too hot nor too cold, but it's just right for human life. The Earth is, is related to the sun in proximity, even in biology, we see that plants and animals share ecosystems. They help one another out. We see in sociology that, that human beings, there are actually things in your brain that will not be unlocked apart from relationship. That We need, at a fundamental level, we need people in our lives because the universe, at its core, is relational. And why is the universe relational? Because we have a relational God that created it. Our world came out of this divine, loving community. And probably one of the greatest thoughts that the early church had to wrestle through, and I mean, nobody's figured it out. I mean, I've seen volumes on the Trinity. But they, they, they kind of came up with this idea, trying, to, trying to, 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 to speak to what they saw in the Bible between the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus. And they, they, they articulated the, 
articulated the doctrine of the Trinity. And one of the words that the early church fathers used to use for the Trinity was perichoresis. And perichoresis just simply means this self-giving love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son. And, and what perichoresis ends up looking like is a divine dance. And Jesus, in this prayer, prays that we would be brought into this divine dance that, that preceded creation. We would be brought into that kind of life. And that kind of life would infuse our relationships with each other so that we would be in unity. And I think this is why there are certain events that we experience in our life that, that seem to have a transcendent quality. Have you ever experienced something that kind of takes you out of yourself? I mean, one of the obvious places is uh, like when I've gone to the mountains. It's just phew, you get out in creation. You get out in these, these ecosystems where everything is, is working together. It's just you get caught up in something that's bigger than yourself or looking at the stars or a sunset. Or maybe on a more intimate level, it's, it's holding a newborn baby. I remember holding one of our babies for the first time going, this is just crazy. Like, this isn't a whole other person that came out of my wife. This is, this is it, it, and, and you get blown away. In, in a simple way, I ha- I'm not a, a huge fan of classical music. I, I admire it from afar. But if you've ever been to hear an orchestra play something like Mozart or Bach, It'll give you the chills. Why? Because there is a unity in what they're doing. You have stringed instruments and horns and reed instruments and percussion instruments, and everybody is playing their part together, and the result is something beautiful, and it takes you somewhere else. It lifts you out of yourself. You get caught up in something bigger, and I believe these moments are windows into the very nature of God himself, and that's why they get at our heartstrings so much. That's why every year I try to go to Jazz Fest. There's something about live music now, not all live music's great. Sometimes I go to Jazz Fest and I'm impressed by a certain music, but I got to tell you, the most, the, the, for me, the, the reasons why I keep coming back are those moments sometime when you hear a band and they're playing so together that it stops being about any musician. Now it's something greater than them. And you feel that and it's like, wow, that's unity, that's an echo of the divine. And Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be brought into this love and life that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We would inhabit that, and we would inhabit that with each other. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus goes on to say, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I've been in church uh, ministry for a long time, most of my adult life now, I guess. And I've been to conferences, 
And at most of these conferences, they have somebody that's going to be speaking on how to grow your church. If you want to have a church of a thousand people, you just got to have this, 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 and this, and you do it. And, and the truth is, if you work this formula, it will work. I also noticed that I've been to, to uh, at some of the conferences, they have workshops on evangelism. Here, here's how we reach people in the community. If you do this kind of program, do this kind of outreach, uh, show this kind of film, pass out these kind of uh, uh, flyers, then people will come into your church. But what Jesus says here is very interesting, that the probably the greatest source of evangelism for the church has nothing to do with our programs or whether or not worship's great on a Sunday morning or whether children's ministry is cutting edge. It has to do with the quality of our life with each other. Folks, do you realize there's some 40,000 different Christian denominations? Christian. You were just talking Christian denominations in the world today. And we wonder why people don't want the church. Because oftentimes they look at the church and we're the most contentious, divisive group of people on planet Earth. And folks are like, no, I can just have that in politics. I don't need to add the religion part to my life. I can just have that in regular old-fashioned life. And that's why I think that what Jesus is getting at here is truly a stark contrast to the principalities and powers of this world when we begin to walk in unity with one another as people who are loved by God and brought into what God is doing. And we begin to demonstrate that with one another. Look out. Because the same way that we hear the music of a symphony and it, and, it, and it tugs on the heartstrings, of the same thing will happen with community when you get around that. When you taste of that, you will be ruined for anything else. And I say that for myself. There were many years where church was just something that I did. I just went. Because I needed, I needed something positive in my life. God wanted me to. But the thing that keeps me being a part of church is being in community. Learning how to hear God and others. Giving my life to others and receiving from others. Learning how to walk out the teachings of Jesus. See, the, the thing is, we have this idea that Christianity is a consumer product. I mean, we live in a world where consumerism and individualism are running rampant, and they're running rampant in the church. In the last 200 years, Christianity has been reduced to an idea that you give mental assent to, as if God wants that. You just got to admit you're a sinner, pray this prayer, you get to go to heaven when you die, and that's all that matters. And that's what the church, much of the church at least in the West, has made Christianity about. But if you look back to the early church, there was never, I I don't find one place in the New Testament where somebody said, Peter, before you follow me, will will you admit that you're a sinner? Will you pray this prayer with me? I got to know that that your eternal salvation is, no, no, Jesus just said, Peter, follow me. What? I don't have to go through a class or something? No, just follow me. Follow me into what I'm doing. Okay. At what point did Peter get saved? Was it the day he, he left his nets? 
Was it after Jesus restored him, after he denied him? Was it after he got baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? At what point did, 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 did Peter pass from, from the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God? I'm not trying to answer this for you. I don't know. The point is, the, the, the most important thing that mattered for Peter was following Jesus. And in community. Jesus never told Peter, like, hey, did you hear that Sermon on the Mount thing I did? Do you agree with those statements? Because that's all I want. I just want to make sure you agree with those statements that, that you believe in the truths that I presented. Now go about your life. See, what we see in the early church was salvation and redemption were linked to being a part of a community, a people of God. The idea that you could have a privatized religious experience where you confessed God and confessed your sins to God, prayed the sinner prayer, and this went along, you know, went about living your own individual existence. People in the early church would be like, what is that? What is that? See, the early church, when you would decide to follow Jesus, that decision would mean you'd become a part of a community of people trying to follow Jesus, trying to live the life of God. You know, I think so often, and I'm guilty of this too, we treat church as like a consumer product. Uh, I want a church that has great worship, good coffee, great children's ministry, an amazing speaker, who's really, uh, you know, good at communicating relevant truths to my life. You know, stuff that I need in my everyday life. We look for those things. I mean, I mean that's what they tell you at conferences. You want a good church? Have these things. But here's the deal. If you come into a church as a consumer looking for a consumer good, you're only going to stay as long as you like that good, Right? I mean, you can apply this to relationships, too. I mean, if you're just looking for a woman that meets these criteria, you know, the second one of those things doesn't measure up. And guess what? People change. It changes the way we look. (laughs) I wish I was the 25-year-old version of myself. But the second something doesn't align with your taste, or the second that somebody offends you, then eh, we're going to go down the road and find another place. And I'm not saying this to guilt anybody into staying here. I'm just saying perhaps the better question to ask would not be how much do we like this church or that church or whatever, how much do we uh, identify with it, but it should be like, is God inviting me to be a part of this community? Is God inviting me to participate in what he's doing in this community? And if he's not, then... That's great. Find out where he is. Because I guarantee you, God has a community for you. But if he is, learn how to invest in it. And by invest, I'm not just talking about, you know, drop a check in every two weeks or whatever. (laughs) Learn to get in the mess of relationship with people. Now, it's about to get real here. (laughs) Dostoevsky the uh, Russian writer back in the 1800s, he, he, he wrote, love and reality is a terrible thing compared to love and dreams. Or as I, as I told some people the other day, I said, getting married is easy. Staying married, hard. 
It's not for the faint at heart. I know before I got married, I was like, oh, we're going to live on love. Love is going to carry us through. This feels so good. It's just going to be more of this. I'm going to be sharing the bills and sharing the bed. And that's all I was thinking of. Like, how hard could this be? And I realized about two days after the honeymoon, there was going to be a little bit more to this than all of those ideas that I had. (laughs) Because being in a committed relationship like marriage requires two people that are willing to learn how to confess their faults when they do something wrong and who can ask for forgiveness and who can extend forgiveness who can learn how to value each other, even on those days where you feel like being selfish, who can learn to work on how to communicate with each other. All of a sudden, marriage ain't sounding so fun for those of you who aren't married, right? I know. But truly being in a committed relationship is a difficult, hard thing. If you can do anything else with your life, do something else. No, that's what, that's what Phil told me when I said I want to plant a church. He's like, no, if you can do anything else with your life, do it. Don't plant a church unless you feel called. No, I'm just saying marriage is not for the faint at heart. It's hard. It's difficult. And it's worth it. I would say I'm a better man after being married for nearly 19 years than I was 20 years ago in spite of all the difficulties and and, and things that we've had to go through. And and here's the deal. I love my wife even more now than I loved her 20 years ago when we were dating, when I had the butterflies in my stomach, when we would spend three hours talking on the phone. I love her more now. And I can't imagine, I couldn't have conceived of that back then. But but it actually happened. And, 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 And it's changed both of us. And that's a marriage. And I'm not telling you to treat church in the same way as a marriage. You know, we can get weird with all that. But here's the deal. If you want to experience transformation in your life, if you want to experience the way God intended, you've got to find the appropriate context for your life. We talk about reading the Bible in context. That's important. But you've got to find a context for your faith. And the context for your faith is the church. It's community. It's living our lives with one another. And I would say, probably if we went around the rooms, like, who wants community? Everybody would be like, yeah, community is great. We have an, an, an intense desire to belong and be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, don't we? We want to be a part. We want to be in relationships. But like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said back in the 1940s in his seminal work on community, he says, oftentimes the people who want community the most are the ones who are going to destroy it. Because they like the idea of community, but not the reality of community. Because here's the deal. In the six and a half years since we started the church, man, it's been hard. And the hardest things have been relational stuff. You know? My goodness, you really start experiencing people going to confront you on things. Or you're going to have to confront people. And I'm, I'm like, I don't like confronting people on stuff. I'd rather just let it go and blow up after six years. 
We got to learn how to how to walk in humility, to speak the truth in love. We got to learn to hear God from one another. And that's hard. It goes against everything in this world that, that pushes you towards individualism and consumerism. It's actually like spiritual warfare. It's hard. But it's worth it. And I think. What Jesus is getting at here in this passage, it's not that it's not Jesus is not asking for uniformity. I love when I look around this church, man, we got Democrats, Republicans, independents, anarchists, uh, you know, libertarians. We got people in all kind of different phases of life, ages, uh, different places. I, I think that's great. God's not expecting us to all line up on all these issues and and that we can just say that that's, that's the thing that identifies us. It's not that we are all ending up being the same. It's that we're all heading towards Jesus together. I can tell you in the last 15 years, you know, the first part of my journey, there, there have been times where I've experienced the Holy spirit in a, an intensely powerful way. And I've shared some of those stories before where God has just boom hit me and, it's changed my life. But I can tell you in the last 15 years that the primary way that I experience God in a transformative way on a regular basis is through relationships where I hear the Holy Spirit speaking through people to me and where I get to participate and God speaking through me to somebody else. When we look at the Apostle Paul, he calls the church the body of Christ. There is some way that when we all get together and we're all heading towards Jesus with all our faults and all our imperfections and all our different ideas on things, but, but something, if we, we all walk in humility towards Jesus, we begin to draw life from one another, and it's, it's the life of God himself. It's the perichoresis, the divine dance. So I just want to close with, with a couple of questions here. Number one, how am I experiencing God in my relationships in the church? And I'm not, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, I know we've got people from other churches here, so you may be like, I, I don't know, I had, I've been here 20 minutes a day. And, um, but ask yourself, How have you experienced God in your relationships? How has God revealed himself to you through other people? Sometimes, look, by the way, sometimes when God reveals himself, it ain't a hug and encouragement. Sometimes it's somebody confronting you, okay? I thank God for the times my wife encourages me, but, you know, sometimes she needs to kick me in the pants. And sometimes other people do too. How are you experiencing God in your relationships in the church? Secondly, how have I treated church as a consumer good? How have I treated this thing the way I would treat a restaurant or a movie? How have I just treated it like that and evaluated it under the same criteria? And then the final question, I would like everybody to wrestle with this. How or where do I feel God is inviting me to invest my life with others? When you ask yourself the question, where is God doing that? Is it here? And if it's here, is there a certain part of this thing 
that God's, God's really breathing on. He's like, you know, this person over here or the, the, these two people or this family, I think you need to invest more of your time. Ask God that. He'll tell you. He'll start pushing you that way. And maybe you ask that question and, and God's saying, no, it's not here. It's somewhere else. Maybe you should just keep hanging around here and dropping a check in the offering until he reveals that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to shut up. I just want to close by reading this passage again, and I want us to hear this prayer for us. Let's receive the prayer of Jesus into our lives today. Let's just in, invite the grace of God to lead us into what it means to, to step into this divine dance that he's doing, to join it and then join it with one another. So hear this prayer of Jesus. Hear it for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Amen.